This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Well, good morning. Glad you're here with us today. My name is Dee Dee Bacon, Senior Minister here, and uh, it's good to see you. You know, I think uh, I added a new song to my playlist this week. I think actually captures perhaps how we're all feeling right now. A song that went something like this. I can see clearly now the rain has gone. Isn't that right? Whew. Anyway, so our friends are going to return and uh, we're going to take up offering. Offering provides an opportunity for you to share, to give thanks to God by sharing the resources that you have that go to resource our ministry here at Mount Carmel. Also, opportunity for you to fill out the cards, response cards, prayer needs, praises. We always count heads here, and while that's important to see how many folks are participating in this group gathering, what I would rather know is names. We'd like to have names to those numbers, so if you could let us know that by filling out the card and just say, hey, Didi, I'm here. Count on me. Whatever you want to say, that's fine. Uh, do that. We would appreciate it. Good to hear. have you here with us today. It's been a great week for us at Mount Carmel, a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, last week we had three baptisms. First of all, we celebrated the baptism of Bryce. Bryce was baptized. Yeah. And then uh, the Patterson family, we had uh, Sophia and Ezra, mom and dad in there, uh, baptizing those two little ones. So uh, fantastic to see. As I said, there are no grandchildren in heaven, so when our children make their commitment uh, of faith, uh, it's a good thing because they learn to become a child of God just as we are. And uh, what God intended for us as parents begins to happen, discipling, training them up to, to follow God in their own lives. We had uh, junior high camp. A lot of our team members went there and participated there. Uh, this morning, Aaron Adams, our student minister, walked in. And uh, he looked worn out. And I'm like, good junior high camp, wasn't it? You know, junior high is that age when our kids lose their brains. And, uh, and so junior high camp is probably like that. But a lot of good stuff, a lot of God stuff happening in their lives. Also, thanks to everyone who participated in Vacation Bible School this year. Where it was fun to see um, the way we set it up, this whole place was transformed to uh, bring kids to Athens and the message of the Apostle Paul and enjoy that. But the way we set it up, though, was that kids would uh, be with their mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. They would interact with them in that. And uh, that was really great to see how kids would invite their mom and dad into the activities. Mom and dad would help facilitate that and just... Uh, be encouraged in their role as the disciplers, as the individuals that God has assigned to train them up to learn to love God. And uh, that was a great thing. July 20th and the 27th, we are going to Houston. We will not have a problem, right? Uh, it'll be Houston, too. We're going back, sending a group of our folks, 70-odd, uh, 80-odd, I think, of our folks are going to Houston to continue to work with families that are recovering from the devastation, from the flooding that was caused by the hurricane. We are asking that if you are not going, we're asking that you would be involved because this is a big church thing. We want it to be an all-church thing. Be involved. And one of the ways you can be involved is uh, if you look outside, there's a display. 
post-it notes that have listed a supply item that would be very helpful for us to be able to have so that we can be able to do this work July 20th to 27th. We'll also be working on putting together teams and uh, hopefully we'll be able to communicate the team leader's picture and who they are so that you can participate by praying for that team and the individuals involved because it's not just about our folks going and the work that we're doing, but it's also about the opportunities that we are given to connect with individuals to share with them the love of God. And so while we're throwing up drywall and repairing roofs and doing all sorts of the crazy things, defending ourselves against the uh, massive bird-like mosquitoes, from what I hear is happens, uh, we'll also be looking to share the love of God with the individuals that are there because that's what it's all about, right? That's what it's all about. So it's been a crazy two weeks. I'm at the uh, point in life when all my kids are in their 20s, and some of you understand what I mean. So when the beginning of summer comes, they all come home. So I went from a driveway with no cars in it, pretty much just mine and one other, now to a driveway packed with people, always there, constantly driving on my yard, tearing it up, all that. Um, that's just how it's been. Uh, my eldest daughter was married June 9th, so that was exciting for us. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a father-in-law now. Seems like kind of quick, but, you know, they dated like four years. And so when uh, Justin came to ask me for my daughter's hand in marriage, you know what I said? About time, pal. <laughs> Gee whiz. Dude, come on. It was all good, and we're glad for it. But in that, of course, it meant everyone was home. All the kids were home. My mother and my niece, my mother came from Zimbabwe, Africa, went to England, where my sister is. She picked up my niece, who's 14 years old, and my niece accompanied my mom from England to here. So my mom and my niece were here. So my whole house went from pretty much empty to packed. And everyone's there, and it's just fun. And, you know, when people around the house, we're all together and we're sitting around, one of the things that I've noticed is my kids like to reminisce about road trips. Because that's what happens when you get together with a family after you haven't seen one. You start the old remember when stuff. You ever do that? Remember when? You remember then? Well, road trips is usually a topic of remember when. Remember when the time when dad wouldn't stop to let Andrew go bathroom? You know, he did the old, it's okay, we'll, we'll stop at the next, oh, let's go a few more miles, oh, let's get to Columbus. Remember when dad did that, and Andrew was so ready to go that he had to crawl, literally crawl out the car like this and walk in. And remember when he did that, his eyes were turning yellow because the levels, you know, that's us dads, we're always like that, right? We're like, oh, just, you're okay, hold it, man, when I was your age. I could drive and drive and drive for days and not have to go to the bathroom. Anyway. Then there was, remember when, when we used to go to, uh, to Florida? We, we would go on vacation to Florida, and the way we would do it, we would leave at night, so we'd drive through the night. Kids love that. Our theory was that they would sleep. They don't sleep. They just think it's the greatest thing in the world. So we arrive in Montgomery, Alabama one time, and it's, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. That's, that's the biggest thing for them, to get out to go to the bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, we ran into a gentleman that, uh, you know, the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. We're going to hear that. He was filled with other spirits, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Jim Bean or, you know, whatever. And so he was rather colorful, and he was like, hey, what you kids doing out here? Something like that. And uh, you know, we're like, oh, you want to go on vacation? Why aren't you in school? And we're like, well, we, we homeschool. And he goes, ah, oh, 
I'm a self-educated man myself, you know. <laughs> so we always talk about self-educated man myself. Um, 2015, uh, speaking of my mom, I was in Zimbabwe, Africa, and mom and I had to make a trip from Gweru, where she lives, a small town where she lives, to the capital called Harare, and it's like a three, three and a half hour drive. And so we were kind, it was kind enough that we had a friend who would take us there, he agreed to take us there in his minivan, and so mom and I traveled up to Harare. We had business to take care of for her. And uh, it was lawyer business, official business, and as always, these things don't go as smoothly as you think. And so it took all day to take care of this business. And uh, we had to hit the road, and it was getting dark. And, and my friend who owned the van said, can you drive, please, because I don't see very well. My eyesight's not so good at night. And I said, sure, sure, I'll do that. So I got in the car, and I realized why he couldn't see so well, because his lights didn't work. I mean, they were just like dim, literally. And we're driving this road, and it's a good road in Zimbabwe, meaning there's no potholes. Uh, that's about it. And, uh, you know, no, no uh, guidelines on the outside, just a center line. And that night, particularly, was really dusty. And so it was just really dark, dim lights, crazy. They, they drive like maniacs there. I mean, whoom, whoom. And at that time, everyone's leaving and going back home and whatever. So we had people on the side of the street, walking on the highway, literally walking aside, uh, whether they, you know, with their goats and, and animals or it was just crazy. And, and I couldn't see pretty much anything. I white knuckled it for three hours. It was brutal. Not being able to see ahead not being able to see what was coming, not having the comfort of having bright lights to show me the way, made that trip just ridiculously stressful. In fact, I was so stressed, it took me like a day to recover. I got sick because of the stress of that drive. Not being able to see ahead driving on a trip is disheartening and disconcerting. It's tough. And I think you know what I mean because... I'm sure there have been times where you've driven through a storm and it's pouring down so hard and you're like, these windshields, what, what's it even doing? And you're just driving like, Ugh. or in a whiteout with the snow or, or, or a massive fog. Driving when you can't see far ahead is brutal. Is brutal. Moving forward, dimly lit, is tough. And I think this is true for life as well, right? I think there are periods in our life when we feel like, I'm just moving forward, but I don't see very far ahead. I don't have much confidence as to where we're going. And it is extremely stressful. And I think this can be applied to our faith. You know, in our faith, we're moving forward, and we're moving forward, and our confidence for whatever circumstances are happening to us in life at that moment, our confidence is shaken. We've had one calamity after another, and we feel like we're just moving forward, dimly lit. We, we look forward to the promise of God's power in our life through prayer, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're praying, but every time we pray, it just seems like our prayers ping off the roof and come back down to us, and no one's hearing us. God's not working in the way that we thought he would work, and the answers that I'm getting aren't the answers that I want. In fact, there's quite the opposite, the answers I didn't want, and we begin to wonder, is God real? Is he near? Is he close? I'm driving in the dark. 
Well, we have this issue that we continue to go back to. You know, it's, it's one of those struggles. It's an addiction. It's a, it's a habit. It's something that I'm trying to work at, and I know it's destructive. I know it's destroying my life. I know it's destroying the relationships around me. I know it's not good for me. I know that God's Word said I, I need to be free of this, and I'm praying that God would release me, and I've tried and tried to read my Bible, and I've tried to try and pray, and it just doesn't seem to work because I find myself always going back to the same pattern and unable to see the victory that I, I thought God would provide. I'm driving in the dark. Maybe you just can't stop with the foul language. Maybe you just, you just can't seem to let go of the hurt and this issue forgiveness that just, just won't seem to drop, that just seems to eat you up and you wonder where am I going to get relief and change? Where's the transformational power that God promises? I'm driving in the dark. For some reason, Sunday morning church is not translating into Monday morning living. And I'm living in the dark. And I'm finding my confidence in God and the promises he gives and the things that I hear about and read about and learn about in Scripture, they're not happening for me. I'm living in the dark, and I'm not even sure about where I'm going and if it's the right thing to do. You know, the Bible talks about the transformation that occurs when we are made right with God through faith, and the language used is living in the light. Quite the opposite, isn't it? And that's the promise. And what's interesting is, is that our letter, Ephesians, is written to a church, to a group of Christians who are living in this world, and they're struggling with this very same issue. They're struggling with confidence in the message they were taught and living it out in the world that they live in. They're struggling with this, and they're struggling with living in the light and in effect, what they're doing is that you find out from Paul's discussion with them, what they're doing is, A, they're struggling with having confidence in the God that they learned about, but B, that, that, that is coming out in how they're living. They're beginning to return to practices that they knew and were engaged in before they were Christians. They were returning to the practices, you would say, uh, before they made their commitment to Christ, worldviews and, and, and ways of dealing with folks and their morals, they were returning to that, returning to what Paul says, living in darkness. And so that's why Paul writes this letter. In the first part of the letter, we've been talking about that Paul basically underpins their teaching, and he says, you can have confidence you can know for sure based on the presence of God's Spirit in your life that you are a child of God and you are empowered to live for God. You can know that for, for sure. And then he gets into the practical, how that looks and how that works. He says in chapter 4, you were taught regarding, with regard to your former way of life, the way you used to live, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the, its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in chapter 5, he shifts into this conversation and uh, using the imagery of light and dark that I've been talking about, and he says these things. You can follow along with me, verse 8. For you were once in darkness... 
But now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. Make a commitment to live as children of light for, he says, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Living as children of light means to live a life that pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated, illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then, he says, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for the Father, God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live in the light. And ultimately what Paul is saying is what we need to hear. Following Jesus means transformed living. That when we come to the place in which we move from our old self to our new self, when we commit ourselves to no longer live in darkness, we don't live by the identity of our former self before we became a Christ follower, but instead to live in our new identity we live in the light, seeking to please God. And the way that works is through the Spirit of God working through us in the community of faith that we are placed, our church, our, our small groups, our community of faith, in which we learn to live in the light. But the problem is, is that it's hard. And the problem is, is that many times we try to circumvent the way God works in our life because we believe we have a better handle on that and we believe we have a better uh, control on that and we believe we can actually many times do it better than Him. We put it on ourselves. Following Jesus means transformed living. recently uh, finished the book by a man named Sky Jathani, and uh, it's a book that has really provided some vocabulary for me that I hopefully will be helpful to you regarding perhaps how we take on the pressure, we take on the responsibility of bringing about transformation in our lives in the name of our faith. Jathani identifies four false views of how we try to get life from God, how we try to have this transformation life of God occur within us. These views in of themselves, well, are true, but when they become the only truth, the only way we relate to God, they become inadequate, enable, enable to providing us transformation and seeing how God works. The first view, he says, is this view that we get life when we live under God. And by this, he refers to what many would call legalism. That we get life from God, we see transformation occur when we begin to submit ourselves to the laws of God, when we practice the Ten Commandments, when we do the right things and we don't do the bad things. And in this system... 
What motivates us isn't love. What motivates us isn't the desire to be pleasing to God. No, what motivates us in this kind of thinking is fear. Folks that operate in this way use fear. You will burn in hell if you drink a beer. Right? They use fear to motivate you to bring about transformation. This is how cults are made. They teach this idea that transformation occurs when we submit ourselves to this checklist of being obedient to God's laws, and typically uh, they add on their own group of laws that go to supplement God's laws. (laughs) But Jesus is very clear, because this is the way of the Pharisees and the Jewish religion. Jesus is very clear, this don't work. He's very clear through the writings of Paul that trying to earn God's approval by being good enough by performing doesn't work, doesn't bring about the life transformation that God promises. It's inadequate in of itself. Then there's the second way. The second way is perhaps maybe more prevalent in our experience is life over God. And life over God refers to the fact that we believe that we really don't need God. God set everything in motion. God set the world in motion, creation, his word, and they're all there available to us as principles that need to be applied. And the impetus on change is put on me being able to Put, to, put into practice the principles that, that God has given us. This is the, the self-help idea of how transformation occurs. If I just have to learn the principles, be educated in the principles, apply the principles. If I do these things, then, then I'll see life change. And notice uh, who's the focus of this whole thing. And the focus is me. It's me, by my power, applying God's principles. Yes, God's over here. He gives me the good things, but it's up to me to make sure the stuff is applied and done. Once again, doesn't work. Doesn't facilitate the transformation promised by God. Third is life for God. This is the idea that Transformation happens when you discover your secret special purpose, your life mission. That if you discover what God has called you to do in ministry, whatever that ministry be is, and if it's more grand and more risky, well, it's actually more powerful, right? Sending you to the ends of the earth to take the gospel to cannibal people, you know, that would be, whoa. Um, But the idea is that your purpose and life change occurs when you give yourself to service. And so you serve not because you love, you serve because you're seeking Uh, to get something for yourself, ultimately, right? You're seeking to see life change occur because it's all about me feeling good and me feeling like I'm secure with God because I am looking for life for God. That's giving you my identity. And once again, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because folks that don't discover their purpose and don't have their grandiose mission, what about them? Well, they feel inadequate, they feel lost, they feel without any sense of value in their life, and that doesn't sync up with what Scripture teaches. Fourthly is life from God. And life from God basically is, the, uh, is basically the health and wealth gospel. Health and Wealth Gospel says, if you pray the right prayers and are slain in the right spirit and go to the right services and give to the right ministries, then you will be blessed with God's power and God's power translate in wealth and health and 
carefree living. That ultimately transformation occurs by aligning myself with the right kind of experience in ministry. And when I do that, God gives me all the stuff I need to live a victorious life. trouble is, is that when that doesn't happen, there's no explanation other than you have no faith. That's your problem. You didn't give enough to the ministry. The man of God didn't pray with you enough. You didn't get slain enough. It doesn't bring about the transformation that God promises. Life under God, life over God, life for God, life from God are ways that we seek to see the transformational power of God live in the light occur in our life, and they don't work when we make them the sole purpose, either one of them, sole purpose of living. What does? Well, according to the scriptures we just read, Paul says a couple of things that jump out to me. First of all, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And then he says, and this is a phrase that he goes into more detail in, in terms of the experience of the church and living life within the church and living for God. But he says this, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And both of these teachings point to the way in which God works to bring about transformation. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Refers to a mindfulness, a paying attention to rely on God in our life, to seek to connect with God as the source of all wisdom through prayer, through the study of the Bible. We don't study the Bible to get the formulas to live under. We don't study the Bible to, to get the principles to live by. No, we study the Bible so we might recognize the Word of God we might recognize how God speaks and the way he talks and the things that he values. We may know for sure that we're learning to attune our ears to the voice of God so that when God speaks to us, we might recognize him and live for him, with him, by him. We learn the word of God so that we might learn to love God. But this be filled with the Spirit actually is, is the one that, that I think captures us all because what we know from Scripture is this that before we were made right with God through faith, we were in a condition in which we were under double trouble. The first part of the trouble is that we were guilty. Guilty in the legal sense. You broke the law of God. I broke the law of God. Therefore, as just, as the just God the rule maker, the one who, de who defines all that is right, he has to respond to that, and his response is wrath. I get what I deserve for breaking the law of God. I am guilty. And the Bible says the payment for sin is death. Therefore, when I'm a lawbreaker, I'm under a death penalty. My life is a life on this earth under death row. That's the first part of the double trouble. Second part of the double trouble is this, that the more I choose to disobey God, the more I choose to live outside of His will, the harder it becomes for me to do what's right. It's as if I'm infected with a sickness, a depravity. And that depravity makes everything convoluted and upside down. It, it, it brings me to a point where I will choose what's bad and consider it good, and I will say what's, what's good from God, and I will treat it as it's evil. And 
all things are convoluted, and you look at the world today, and you're like, well, okay, I get it. I see it. This is what's happening. What used to be good is now considered bad, and what is considered bad is now considered good, and this world is, it seems like it's rotting from the inside out. God provides a double cure for our double trouble. First of all, Jesus on the cross provides a way in which the payment that I'm due to pay for my breaking the law is paid for by the Son of God. And his payment allows me now to be considered not guilty. I don't, will not receive what I deserve. I will receive grace, what I don't deserve. And I can receive that by faith, by believing by grace, we say, through faith at baptism, the occasion by which this gift is given. But also, there's another part to the gift. What did Peter say when the people said to him, what should we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the, what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness. No more guilty. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the means by which the second part of the double trouble is taken care of. Our sin sickness is nullified when God's Spirit begins to work in us and through us. And so when we talk about live by the Spirit, what we're talking about is living out the second part of the, of the double cure. It is living in the light. It is seeing the transformational power of God being facilitated in our lives through our fellowship with the Spirit. And the way it is done is not life under God, life over God, life for God, life, life from God. It is done because God wants to live life with us. It is done through life with God. Life with God. My mom is with us, I've said this before, and she always comes up with statements. I've quoted them before. She said, Holy Spirit, God is the perfect gentleman. He'll never force his way into your life. But instead, he will be available for you to invite him to partner in life together. And the fellowship that we talk about is a matter of seeking to live with God in harmony with him where he provides the resources and the strength and the things that we need to be transformed into the people that he's envisioned us being. And so when I live life with God, I learn to love God, and guess what? I learn to submit myself to the laws of God. Why? Because the laws of God reflect the heart of God and, and, and the things that please God. And so I don't do what's right because I'm afraid of punishment. No, I do what's right because I want to honor the God I love. I live knowing that God has, in, has principles that, that are important to be applied to live with. That's wisdom, applying the Word of God to my life. And those principles, uh, he, He's the resource that helps me live them out. And if I live by those principles, I will see the blessings that come by living by the principles that He gives. As I learn to live with God, I, I learn to capture the heart of God because he becomes uh, in fellowship. I begin to see what he loves and, and love what he sees, and I begin to see things as he sees them. And guess what? God loves, God loves people. And so what is the motivation for service? My love for God and my love for the people that he loves. When I live with God, I, I, I now have available to me a resource that brings about life, life transformation, resource given to me by the Spirit that brings about change. I can have life from God because God is with me. 
the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I can, can receive supernatural gifts when He calls me to ministry that, that allows me to do His will in circumstances that, that, that come my way in life. I can be given faith when I lack faith. I've been given wisdom when I lack wisdom. I can be given uh, generosity when I lack the resources to share. I've been given the opportunity to, to be blessed with leadership when I'm called to lead for Him. Life is provided for us when we live life with God. And that's why we pray, so that we can connect with God and live life with Him. That's why we study our Bible, so we can hear, hear His voice. That's why we come into the community of faith, because in that, we can now share how God is working in us and bless others. We can help others in their walk together. Because God didn't save us just to walk alone. He saved us to be within the family. And everyone that belongs to Jesus, that's in your church family, we're all in this together to the end of time and beyond the end of time. Sandy Stanley has a book he wrote. Uh, it's a book entitled It Came From Within. He talks about an occasion, kind of puts some life to what I'm talking about. And he talks about a time he was in Starbucks and uh, he noticed this guy sitting in the corner that was giving off this serious angry vibe. You ever seen someone like that? They're like, stay away from me because if you talk to me, I'm going to kill you, right? That kind of guy. And in Starbucks too, right? So it turns out this guy's name was Joe. So Andy ordered his frou-frou latte something something. I don't know what it was. I was kind of disgusted when I read it. But anyway, um, I thought real men just drink black coffee. And so Annie went into his side, and guess what? This guy came to approach him, and he had a scowl on his face. And he said to him, are you Andy? Are you Andy Stanley? Are you Andy? And Andy like, I don't know if I wanted to be Andy at that moment or not. But he said, yes, I'm Andy. He said, well, someone gave me one of your CDs. Andy's a preacher. So, yeah, and I have a problem. I have a problem with you, your church, and I have a problem with God. Well, it turns out that Joe had been through two terrible divorces. His first wife, he'd been married for some like 30 years or so. I think that's what it says, 30 years of marriage. Uh, unfortunately, his, his wife, his first wife, had been sexually abused as a child, and she never got over that, and that just, that just became a cancer to their marriage and their relationship. Long story short, they ended up in divorce. And then two years after their divorce, she died. I mean, just tragic stuff. Joe got remarried, and uh, in second marriage, it didn't work. Uh, Joe had his own issues, didn't make it work. It just fell apart in divorce. And so, in effect, Joe was a very angry, bitter, uh, recovering alcoholic kind of guy. As far as he was concerned, God was, was a joke. That whole thing of faith was, didn't work. When he got to talk to Joe a little bit, and he was able to connect Joe with one of his associates, Andy's associates, a man named John, and long story short, John reached out to Joe, and they began to form a relationship, a friendship, a connection, and they began to meet on a regular basis, and, and that was the last that Andy saw of Joe. Three months later, same Starbucks, Andy went in to meet with a youth minister guy, and there was Joe. 
But this time, the scenario was completely different. Joe, Andy noticed, was smiling. And Joe came right up to Angie. Andy noticed he had a Bible and a book on marriage. And his just entire countenance was changed. I'm getting married next week, Joe said. And he was like, uh, uh, to who? To Susan. Susan was his ex-wife. I'm getting remarried to Susan, and John is performing the ceremony. <laughs> See, it was obvious in Joe's eyes that something had changed, and it had. What had happened was, is that through with, through the connection with John, a man of faith who invested time in sharing faith with Joe, through that, Joe had come to terms with his anger, his frustrations, his issues. He had come to recognize God's grace. He had come to experience what Jesus offered, forgiveness from sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And his life transformed. How? Not from life under God, not life from God, for God, not life uh, over God. No, it had transformed because he had learned to live life with God. He had to learn to live by the Spirit. I'm getting remarried to Susan. And you know what? Guess what? Susan had noticed a change in Joe. That was partly why things had changed in terms of their relationship. But also, Joe said, and I get to baptize her in a week. Following Jesus means transformed living. Following Jesus means transformed living. What we have to understand is that we need to resist the temptation to manufacture transformation, to resist the temptation of buying into doctrine that says it's all about X's and O's, following the laws, doing this exact life under God. Resist the temptation of believing it's all about self-help, Apply the principles, it's all on me. You just need to do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. God doesn't help those who don't help themselves, which is not scripture, by the way. It's not about finding your perfect mission or ministry, life for God. No, it's not about life from God. God is not the great ATM in the sky that he, he blesses you with these, these bombs of blessing if you just align yourself in the right way at the right. No, it's a life with God. Life with God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How does that work? Life with God. If God is with you, what and who can stand against you? Life with God. Christ in me, the source of hope, God with me by his spirit. And if we're interested in transformation, then what is required is for us to pay attention, live as wise, not as unwise. Make the most of the opportunity. Give yourself to things that attune you to the presence of God. Don't pray. Don't pray with, with, with the list of what I want. No, pray sharing a time with God who wants to be with you. And guess what? You have opportunity to share what you want and what you need. He hears you. He sees you. Enjoy the presence of God. Life with God, the source of transformation, living in the light.
That is the call of Scripture. That is the challenge and the opportunity for us. I would ask that you stand. And I'll ask that we would pray together. Opportunity here for you to pray with individuals that have given themselves to the ministry of prayer. They'll be up front, pray with you in person. Right? Mike and Rick, two of our elders, they're here to pray with you in person. If you would like to share with them how God's working in your life, and perhaps you're at a point where you want to accept Jesus Christ, accept what he provides, then I encourage you to share that with them, and we can take you through the next steps of of this journey of faith. But let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for the life you give to us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to have the precious gift of Emmanuel, God with us. And that gift has come through Jesus and now is able to be provided to us in our world today by your Holy Spirit. Lord, there are many here who are suffering. There are many who are dealing with living life perhaps in a dim light. I pray that they might know that while it may be dark outside, you are with them. And the light inside, the light with them, you with them, is enough. Well, many times we need to be reminded that sometimes you do calm the storm and you make things bright and easy. Sometimes the rain is gone and we can see clearly, but other times you strengthen us, you strengthen the sailor through the storm. And I pray that those that are struggling right now may hold on to that truth and be comforted by that truth, knowing that by your spirit, even though we have words, Romans says, we have no words but a groan, that uh, your spirit takes those, that groan and translates that and carries it to the gates of heaven to be heard by you and to be acted upon by you. I pray, Lord, that you would work in this and help us to learn to live life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.